Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism everything we are the feminist podcast where we give feminist critiques to movies musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them potentially we would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's episode on stolen ghana land we would like to pay our respects to all elders past present and emerging and we'd just like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be aboriginal land so before we get into our discussion today uh we're gonna do a bit of a uh shameless plug of some upcoming shows you're incredible at some shameless self-promotion oh, uh, i'm an absolute <laughs> slut for self-promotion um, i'm i'm really bad at it like if i have a yeah. show on i'm just like but i'm sure there are other great things out there as well i mean have you seen this person and you, begin, you can do that as well <laughs> they don't like people can go to multiple things they can yeah, but that's why I'm in charge of publicity for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> I just called it a podcast. Um, anyway, uh, you are listening to us currently in a uh, pre-recorded format, but have you ever thought to yourself, wow, I'd love to be in the room with Mim and Ellis at the time? You mean we're going to have people in my apartment? That's no. <laughs> I was so ready to be like, that's right, Ellis. No. <laughs> We're doing a live show, a live recording. What? Of Feminism Ruins Everything. We can do that? We can because we are very fortunate to be in Adelaide, South Australia, uh, where we have very few COVID cases. So we have quite uh, an easing of restrictions happening, which means that people can be in a theatre. Uh, to be present while we record two episodes in separate shows. We're going to have one episode where we do a live recording about Friends, the TV Ooh. show. <laughs> Lots to dive into Lots there. to dissect there. And the other show will be about Frozen. Yes. The incredibly huge monumental Disney film. Let it go. <laughs> and the Frozen one is going to be G-rated. So if you have kids that are into Frozen and that you want to get excited about feminism, bring them along. Bring them along. We're not going to swear. We might swear in the Friends one. Ross brings out a lot of feelings about a lot yeah. of things. Uh, so if you'd like to be present for the live recordings of those, uh, you can hop on our Facebook page. We've got details there. Um, I'll also put a link in our Instagram bio as well. Um, or you can go to the Star Theatre's website. That's where tickets are. Um, obviously, it's happening in Adelaide, South Australia, which is where we currently are. If you can't physically be there because you don't live here and we have tight borders, uh, <laughs> then you'll just be able to listen back to the episode when we release it exactly because it's it's a live recorded episode but like it's still it's, it's still going to be a podcast episode you know yeah. what you feel yeah <laughs> i shouldn't have had to explain that but i did also so podcasts are things that you listen to with your ears our ears are those things that stick out on the side of your head mm, helpful if you have glasses mm. Uh, another bit of a shameless plug. If you, again, are in Adelaide, South Australia, 
Uh, I've got some friendly feminism shows coming up at the start of October on the 3rd and 4th of October. Uh, it's just a really limited two-show engagement. And uh, it's at um, a venue that is now called Diversity, which is a queer hub, but it is uh, the same venue that we debuted the show in last year. So it's a bit of a uh, full circle thing <laughs> happening. Uh, and if you search Friendly Feminism Return Season on Facebook, you'll find it. Um, there's information on my Instagram as well. And uh, We'll put info in the, the description of this episode as well. Um, of course, if you're not listening to this episode in September or October 2020, you've missed the boat. <laughs> um, but if, if, you, if you are able to go to see it, I know I'm a bit biased, but I've seen this show, I think, three times. And it's, it's such a wonderful show. I highly recommend it. It's funny. It's poignant. It's emotional. It's awesome. And I'm not just saying that because Mim is my best friend. <laughs> it's genuinely great. Thanks, Will. With all this shameless self-promotion out of the way, I want to I include a little tidbit. So I, I, in preparation for today's episode, I did a bit of research. I watched the thing that we're talking about. We haven't said what thing we're talking about. I know, but it was it was interesting because I clicked on the thing that we were talking about. It came up with just like a little bit of warning just to let you know what kind of content's in it. And it's like, this has scary scenes in it. But it also said, this film contains product placement. I saw that as well. Were you watching on Disney Plus? Too? I was watching on Disney Plus. Because what product placement is there in Beauty and the Beast? I was also confused by that and like made a <laughs> mental note to look out for it and then didn't. Didn't see but anything because it's a period piece set it's in a France. Period piece. <laughs> if anyone knows what said product was that was allegedly placed <laughs> in. It's the live action one, right? It's the li- it was the live action one. Uh, it must have been the scene where Lumiere was wearing Nikes. That's probably what it was. <laughs> Today we are talking about Beauty and the Beast, both the uh, original uh, 1991 animated version and the live action 2017 remake. We'll also probably chuck in some tidbits about the stage production as well, mm-hmm. just for good measure. Just why not? But all things Beauty and the Beast, we are discussing today. Tale and, as old as time. I am excited because I have thoughts and opinions about Beauty and the Beast. A little bit of backstory about where we come to this episode from. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes we discuss a movie that we've literally watched the day before. Uh, but we are quite familiar with this piece. Um, so in 2011, mm-hmm. I was in a youth production of Beauty and the Beast. Not to brag, but I played Belle. Um, <laughs> which didn't make sense, because there's one part where um, Lumia's like, see something about her hair. And he's like, it's brown. And I clearly had blonde hair. It didn't make sense. They could have changed the line. I, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> But my fun tidbit about this is that um, in the cast of this 2011 production, I was 17, which means that friend of the podcast, our darling friend Mitchell Smith, who was also in the production with me, (laughs) was 14 years old, bless his heart, and he played Cogsworth. Mm Mm-hmm. And my family, to this day, a good nine years later, still refer to him as the clock. (laughs) He has done many things with his life since then. Like, they've seen him in many a stage show since then. No, he is forever the The clock. clock. Incredible. Yeah. 
Ellis, what is your background with this show? Um, I grew up with this movie. I had my little beast toy who went with me everywhere uh, when I was a child. That's really I, cute. It's really cute. I think like Beauty and the Beast, the original animated version, is probably one of my favourite movies of all time. Um, cool. like, big calls big, by Ellis Dolan. Big call. I absolutely adore it. Um, but my tidbit with the stage show is last year when I was on tour with School of Rock. We get it. In China. You were on tour with School of Rock. You are a very successful music theatre performer. Continue. My very dear friend... <laughs> I'm actually very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my very dear friend Jack Van Stafford and I, we went to Disneyland Shanghai the first week with, that we were in Shanghai. And we had an amazing time. But one of the things that they, they School of Rock organized were like, hey, there's this production of Beauty and the Beast going on at the Disneyland Village just outside the park. Do you want to go see it? Oh my god, incredible. It's in Mandarin. <gasps> and so we had spent the whole day in the park, and then we're like, let's go watch Beauty and the Beast in Mandarin. Yes! And it it was like, it was quite... A, like, confession time, we got to intermission, and we're like, okay, we've had that experience, we're really tired, let's go home. <laughs> um, but up until that point, it was kind of fascinating seeing something that we knew intrinsically, mm. but we didn't know exactly what they were saying, but we were still able to understand what was going on, mm. not just because we knew the story, but because of the way it was staged. It also had the queerest Gaston I've ever seen. <laughs> Phenomenal. I adored him. Anytime he came on, I'm just like, Gaston's back! <laughs> It, and it was it was so fascinating to see it in a different language and see it's how really it still cool. translated and the audience were getting into it and it was really cool. Speaking of Beauty and the Beast in a different language, mm-hmm. um, Belle et la Bête. La Belle et la Bête. Uh, when this movie came out, when the live action one came out, I was living in France, um, and a hot take. I've already, you know admonished you for being like, I was in School of Rock. This is going to be the episode where you're going to be like, yes, man, we get it. You lived in France. You're Beauty and the Beast. Fucking bilingual. Congratulations. Um, But (laughs) when I went to see the live action one, the first time, I saw it in French. Which is fascinating because they don't have to change the bonjour, bonjour, (laughs) bonjour, 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 etc. But... Um, obviously, the voice actor who overdubs Emma Watson, well, mm. and there are voice actors that overdub all the characters, but the voice actor who overdubs Emma Watson uh, was clearly more of a trained and or competent and or singer that needed less auto-tuning than Emma Watson, with respect to Emma Watson. <laughs> and so everyone was like, oh, the auto-tuning, I couldn't stand it. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't pick it, like, that normally really bothers me. Like, why did I... Oh, it's because they didn't have to auto-tune <laughs> the French voice actors. Because they went, oh, it's a singing role. Maybe, just maybe, we could cast a singer-actor. <laughs> With all due respect to Emma Watson, I really like her as an actress. Just it, an interesting choice to me that they cast a non... Like, it's not that she can't sing. It's just like, if you're going to do that much doctoring to the sound, maybe just get someone else to sing it. yeah. It or... does, doesn't quite make sense. Mm. But perhaps one of, their thought, one of the thought processes was that Emma Watson you know, does a lot of advocacy for feminism. She does. And maybe that yes. was part of the reasoning behind casting her because she, well-documented feminist, 
Bell feminist, feminist icon. icon. Maybe Absolutely. that was maybe that was the thought process, and I, also trying to catch that, that, that do... Harry Potter audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also think. <laughs> Um, I know that we said that we were going to leave our gripes with the movie to the end, but this <laughs> flows in very well. I also think it's really stupid to cast like big name actors in roles where you don't see them. Especially, especially when they're putting on a French accent. <laughs> like, I remember seeing it again, because I, I watched it yesterday in English, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I understand the auto-tuning thing now. Um, but also, my French has really deteriorated, so I wouldn't have been able to understand it as well. It's very sad. It's all right. I'm over it. Um, but, so, I was watching it back, and I was like, I know that it was, like, a big-name actor who they cast as Lumiere. I, I, I know that objectively. I saw the cast list, and I was like, oh, that's somebody high profile mm. and I was watching it the whole time going I can't see your face and you're putting on an accent so I can't even recognize you by your voice and you see you and McGregor at the very end and I'm like this was a waste <laughs> Disney this is a waste of your budget but like from from the other perspective from Ewan McGregor's perspective he's like what's that you want me to spend a week in a recording studio two days on set at the very end and you're gonna pay me how much yeah like all of the voice actors must have got bank for this movie. They, w- they would have been thrilled with this yeah. job. But at least, like, with Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts, you recognise Emma Thompson's voice. Mm-hmm. And as the music theatre tragic that I am, I recognise Audra McDonald's voice as oh, the McDonald. wardrobe who has a different name in the live action. Well, I don't know why they changed her name. I don't know. They changed I a f- bunch of things. I forgot what the they changed The Duster has a different name as well. Oh, really? But I can't remember either of them. <laughs> she was originally called Babette. Babette, that's right. Uh, they changed to something else as well. Great. Anyway. Should we actually talk about the feminist merits of this I th- movie I and think or so. musical Ellis? I think so. Let's let's. Like, you came up with an idea. You had a couple of tidbits that you wanted to share that were like noticeable feminist talking points, but not enough to warrant a whole section on it. So we're just going to like rapid fire feminist points. Mm. Ultra team go. Number one. Why do we only take women seriously when they turn into beautiful enchantresses? This is a very common problem that a lot of people have. Yeah. The old woman at the beginning of the film, she comes in and she's like, oh, help me. And the prince is like, nah. And then she's like, well, actually, I'm really beautiful and powerful. And he's like, oh, come in. Forgive me. No, 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 no. You showed your true colors early on. Now that you're hot, I respect you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what it is. is. Um, So let's think about that one. Um, I like, in the live action one, I like the conversation that Belle and Gaston have where he invites himself over for dinner like doesn't even ask her out it's like shall I come over for dinner tonight and she goes not tonight and he says oh are you busy and she goes no (laughs) like something to that effect Um, and I really appreciate that this is a nice example of a woman saying no to someone asking them out and not having to give an excuse yeah just not wanting to and that's okay (laughs) yeah because we all do that yeah um and to some degree, it's like um, to mitigate uh, the situation escalating, mm-hmm. which is like a self-preservation, I want to keep safe thing. Um, but we should be able to be like, 
I'm not interested. Thank you so much. Yeah. Goodbye. That's it. <laughs> Have yeah. a nice day. Yeah. That's it. Um, all right. That was my second talking point. Another thing that I want to draw attention to is the fact that when Belle first comes to the castle, Lumiere and Cogsworth are like, oh, a beautiful woman. Uh, maybe she would break the spell. So did you study in France? I'm actually quite like, well, <laughs> sorry about it. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even French. It was just a shit French accent. Um, but basically, I was like, hang on, Maurice has already come. Like, we've already seen another human. Um, and actually, two men can love one another. It doesn't have to be in a sexual way. Like, why Why did they not see Maurice come and go, this is a person with whom he could form a friendship. And there could be some level of platonic mm-hmm. love there. Like, if, I mean, obviously, maybe they... <laughs> Maybe he ruined it by the fact that he, like, captured him to start with. Like, that was potentially a problem. Yeah. But, um, you know, you can love somebody that isn't just somebody that you're attracted to. You mm-hmm. can love somebody in a non-romantic way. Like, there's no reason. Like, there are plenty of men who love each other in a non-romantic yeah. way. It doesn't have to be a beautiful young woman to be somebody that... A man loves. It's a very heteronormative idea. Yeah. yeah. And also just a very um, strictly romantic idea of love. Yeah. There are so many different types of love that aren't romantic exactly. and or sexual. Um, another thing that I appreciated is that in the bit where Audra McDonald, the wardrobe who has been renamed for the live action that I can't remember the new name of, mm-hmm. um, is looking to dress Belle. And looks at her and goes, um, oh, you're a beautiful canvas. You have, and I quote, I can find my quote, pretty eyes, proud face. And I appreciated this because, yes, they are physical characteristics, but they are not um, physical characteristics that we normally place a lot of emphasis on. Mm. And it's the kind of thing that... um, it's a compliment that you can give to anyone without objectifying them. Yeah, it's not like she says, oh, you're so slender and yeah. with porcelain skin. Yeah. It's just like a, you have a proud face. That's a cool compliment. Yeah. yeah. Ellis, you have a proud face. Mim, you have a proud face. Thank you so much. And it's not a gendered compliment Exactly. Either. Yeah. All right, another little talking point and then I'll be done. Uh, but I just need to get these out of my system. <laughs> um, also, there's a really wholesome moment and like it's it's undercut very quickly, the wholesomeness evaporates very soon after it happens but basically Gaston gets all enraged and LeFou is trying to calm him down and like does these breathing exercises with him and it's like yes just go to your happy place like deep breaths which is a really nice way to calm someone if they are angry or anxious like it's Mm -hmm. a nice moment of positive masculinity on behalf of LeFou and then he goes think of the war (laughs) think of the explosions the widows oh that's that's Gaston's happy place is still mm. violent, so <laughs> alas. Um, but yeah, those are my tidbits. I just wanted to Some get cool out tidbits. there. Some few feminist talking points. Well, let's get into the let's get into the the meat and potatoes, or if you're vegetarian, the potatoes and the potatoes. <laughs> I would have said tofu. <laughs> you know, I love my tofu, Ellis. <laughs> yeah, but that's not as funny. Yeah. I do love potatoes. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't say that if I was just like, hang hey, in for dinner, we're having potatoes and potatoes. I'd be like, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Belle. Belle is our heroine. She's our leading lady. She's the hero of this story and a feminist icon. A feminist icon. It's so... 
Ellie, cool. Am I right in thinking that in our like prologue episode, I asked who your favorite Disney princess was, and you said Belle? Yes. Incredible. Belle is my favorite Disney princess by far, because she's she's just wonderful. She is such a wonderful character and such a whole character, and particularly in the context of Disney, quite a unique stepping stone forward for them. So, mm. so 19, Disney history, 1989, Little Mermaid comes out, mm. and Ariel is the first princess who's kind of like not sitting around waiting for her prince to yeah. come rescue her. She goes out and gets him. She does. But that movie also has some other problematic elements where the thing that she really wants is a handsome man, and she's yeah. willing to give up her voice to get him. And she has to do it purely on the strength of her physical attractiveness. And her body language. <laughs> We will soon be doing an episode on Little Mermaid, I'm sure. <laughs> but the next Disney film to come out after that is Beauty and the Beast, where you have another heroine who doesn't just want to sit around and wait for somebody to come rescue her. She wants to go out and see the world and have adventures, and she's intelligent and book smart, and she uses her cunning to kind of get mm. what she wants, and she doesn't take shit from no one. And she actively fights against the systemic inequality and the patriarchy of her village and of her community. Mm-hmm. Like, that is so, so clear. Yeah. Um, like, women aren't supposed to be able or allowed to read. That's discouraged. Mm. Women should not be intelligent. Uh, and then you see in the live-action one, she's, like, teaching a little girl to read. It's really wholesome. <laughs> um, and, you know... Women have to be married and have babies, otherwise, what is their utility? Yeah. And Belle is like, I'm having none of that. No. She wants a venture in the great wide somewhere. She wants it more than she can tell. I was thinking about this. I don't think it's a feminist talking point. I just think it's an interesting tidbit. I'm all about my tidbits today. <laughs> um, and like in comparison to a lot of the other Disney princesses, she doesn't really have a big I want song. Which is also potentially maybe how they got away with casting Emma Watson, because they were like, of all the Disney princesses, this isn't a huge thing. Mm. It's probably why they wrote her two songs for the musical. But, like, her I Want song is that reprise of, like, I want adventure in the great white somewhere. Yeah. I want it more than I can tell. It's, like, six to eight lines. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Ariel has part of your world. Um, Elsa has let it go. Moana has how far I'll go. I never thought about how similar those titles are. (laughs) A lot of going places. A lot of going. Because they're in a place and they want to be in a different place. Yeah. You have to go there. You do. Yeah. And there's also the throwaway comment of Gaston being like, oh, if if you don't get married, then you're going to end up like Agatha, who's an old spinster begging for Mm -hmm. scraps. Like, hello, patriarchy. And, like, it, it's very clear, there, there are so many scenes where people, primarily Gaston, are like, well, you're going to get married, and we're going to have lots of kids, and I'm going to come home, and you're going to massage my feet. Mm. And she's just like, no, I'm not having any of that, that is not what I want. No. And then again, when she, when she ends up with the Beast, and she becomes the first person to really stand up to the Beast... And stand her ground, and he's like, you'll join me for dinner. And she's like, no. And mm. he's like, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's, he's never come face to face with somebody who said no to him that way before. Oh. And even then, when, when uh, the beast rescues her from the wolves, and then she gets him back to the castle, and is like trying to like 
look like take care of him uh, of his wounds and he's like you shouldn't have run away and she's like well you shouldn't have scared me yeah and she like doesn't take any of his crap oh and it's oh it's so wonderful to see yeah which is which is kind of part of the reason why i think when people bring up beauty and the beast and they're like oh you mean stockholm syndrome the musical i'm like no because one they usually don't have an understanding of what stockholm syndrome (laughs) actually is Uh, but part of the thing with Stockholm Syndrome is that the uh, the captive is always trying to make excuses for the captor mm. and trying to say, oh no, I didn't mean it, or you know, grasping onto any shred of nicety that the, the captor gives them yeah. as justification for why they're good. But Belle doesn't do any of that. No. She is defiant from the beginning, yes. and it isn't until he, the beast, kind of goes, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a shit person, that she starts responding to that yeah. and developing a friendship and yeah. a relationship with him. Yeah, she doesn't compromise on how she expects to be treated. Exactly. She's good at saying no. Mm-hmm. God damn, I need to borrow some of that. <laughs> and she has a very clear picture of what she wants and is actually is not going to settle. Yeah. A feminist icon. Feminist icon. Prioritizes women's education. I didn't say that. Let me say it again. Prioritizes women's education. Hell yeah. Yeah. So good. She's she's that and she's also she's she's funny and she's sarcastic and she has some amazing songs. Mm. I love her. I think she also stands for the idea that in patriarchal societies, obviously the one that we're shown in the film is taken to an extreme end also because, you know, it's a period piece. Mm-hmm. Um that, you know, I would still argue that modern Western culture is a patriarchal society. Um, I think she also stands for the notion that in patriarchal societies, um, society doesn't want women to be both beautiful and clever. Yes. You can be one or the other. Here's here's my confession time. I've just, (laughs) I've just, just spoken about how much I love this film, how it's been an important part of my life for the entirety of my life. I rewatched the the animated version last night, and it wasn't until I watched it that I had the realization that not only is the beast just judged by his outward appearance, but Belle is also judged by her outward appearance, also yes. known as the point of the film. <laughs> and <laughs> it's times like that that I'm like, I should return my my writing degree. <laughs> But also, when you like watch something as a kid and you don't have that initial takeaway because you mm-hmm. know your analytical skills haven't developed yet, and then you just kind of go through life with the same perception of it as you've always had as the first time you watched it, so mm. you don't watch it with fresh eyes. Unless you're watching it to give a feminist critique of it, in which and case suddenly... you see so much. <laughs> yeah, Hot take, if you'd like to be able to still enjoy all of your favourite films... Don't start a feminist podcast <laughs> in which you give feminist critiques of them because, you know, it's not often that our title rings true. But goddamn, feminism does. has ruined everything <laughs> for me. <laughs> but it is true. Like, Belle spends all her time in the village being judged because she is beautiful. Therefore, why would she want to read? And also because, you know, she's a woman. Mm. You know, women have this place in society. But they're also like, 
you're this beautiful woman. Why wouldn't you just shack up with the beautiful man who obviously wants to get with you? Mm. What, what, what's your deal? You're so odd. Belle. Feminist icon. Absolutely. You know who's not a feminist icon? Gaston. Gaston. No one embodies toxic masculinity like Gaston. Absolutely not. So, holy heck. If you were to say, what's a great example in pop culture of somebody who just exhibits traits that are 100% consistent with a toxic representation of masculinity, you would say Gaston. 100%. Toxic man. A toxic man. I I think that Gaston is one of my favourite Disney villains. Mm. And I think what makes him so effective is that he's just a guy. Mm. When you break it down, he is kind of the... representative of the stereotypical alpha male masculine man with all the entitlements and um, privilege that come with it. Mm. And the scary thing about him is that he's very realistic. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, to me, more terrifying than any sorcerer or sea witch or dragon could ever be because he's a real reflection of of what kind of happens in everyday life, particularly mm. to women and non men. I, I watched um, I watched the animated film with my friend Juanita. We had a really good discussion about it. So a lot of my talking points today also <laughs> came from her. Shout out, Juanita! Thank you, Juanita, for your input. You don't listen to the podcast. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> We're not salty. <laughs> Um, we could bad math you right now, Winita, and you wouldn't know, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't. I'd never do that. She's scary. <laughs> she... <laughs> uh, one of the things that she pointed out, um, because this was her first time watching the film, and her response to Gaston in particular was very much like, I've heard people say that. Mm. Like, I've met people who think and act yeah. like that. And she wondered that if at the time it was released back in the 90s, people would be like, oh, you know, that's an exaggeration because it's Disney. But now looking back at it, it's like, no, that like, it's, it's not exaggerated at all. And that makes it scarier. Mm. I think you made a really good point, Ellis, that in the animated version, the town like backs him 100%. And in the live action one, LeFou kind of needs to like rile them up to get on board the Gaston train. Mm-hmm. But in... Um, the animated one, they're like, hell yeah, we're all for Gaston, which I think really says a lot about how a patriarchal society breeds toxic masculinity. And celebrates it. Absolutely. Gaston shows strength and power and determination. Mm. And, you know, oh, Belle's just playing hard to get by not wanting to marry this really rapey guy. Oof, yeah. Like... Yeah. Like, he makes some comment about... Like, LeFou goes, oh, there are all these other women fawning over you. Why won't you go for one of them? And he's like, oh, because it's more more of a fun challenge if they don't want it. Like, mm. oof. Rapey yeah. as all hell. This is the fact that in the, in the animated version, he sets up their wedding and is like, thank you for coming to my wedding. Now I've just got to go propose to the bride. And the entire town finds that hilarious. Mm. And he then, like, invades Belle's house and kind of corners her against the wall. And she's trying to escape and also trying to placate him Mm. because that's quite a dangerous situation for her to be in. Like, 
It shouldn't have to be said, but I'll say it anyway. You need someone's consent to marry them. <laughs> Hot takes with Mimsa. Hot takes. Hot takes. This is why people listen to us for the, the real cutting edge feminism. The real cutting edge commentary. <laughs> like, I know, no one's said it before. Probably because it's so obvious. But when people, when characters like Gaston are a reflection of people in real life, we do need to say these things. Yeah. We do need to reiterate these points. What I really appreciate about the Gaston character is the fact that it is so clear cut that he is the villain. Mm. Like that is that is there is never a shadow of a doubt in anyone's mind that his interests go against that of the heroine. That we're on Belle's side because it's her story, um, and she doesn't like him, so we don't like him. And you know he does some horrendous things, um, but. I get that people are complicated and I know that people are multifaceted and you can't just kind of write somebody off as evil. But when you're creating a movie for children who don't necessarily have that much of a nuanced understanding Mm. of the human condition, Mm. then it's really obvious to be like, here are the traits of somebody who is evil. Yeah. Like this, like um, thinking that you can just force yourself on any woman Mm -hmm. that you like, um, you know, thinking that it's more important that women are, you know, having babies than being educated. Yeah. Um, thinking that, you know, physical appearance is everything and intelligence is like pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. These are the characteristics of an evil character. Mm. Like, I really appreciate how clear cut that is for kids to go. It, like, obviously, they're not going to put a label on it and go, yeah, that's toxic masculinity. But the the toxic traits that we see represented in him are associated with a character that we don't like. And I think that that is a real credit to the portrayal of gender roles in this film. Yeah. It's also interesting, here's a tidbit from me, in the animated version, the way that they draw the Beast and Gaston changes as the movie progresses. At the beginning of the movie, Gaston is drawn very human-like and the Beast is drawn very beastly. And as the beast gets more human and grows and develops as a character, his uh, the way he is drawn softens and he becomes Ooh. more manlike. And Gaston gets more and more beastly as he's going. His hair becomes all wild and raggedy, and his like his facial expressions are more garish and monstrous. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. That's, that's real cool. That's really cool. And then, and then Belle says the line, he's not the monster, Gaston. You are. Just in case we didn't... Just, just in, in case, case we missed it. <laughs> That's one of the joys of films intended to be watched by children is that some of the key points are just made very obvious. <laughs> it's fantastic. But I think what makes... One of the things that I appreciate about this era of Disney is that it isn't all obvious and black and white. There are some really complex nuances in their characters. For example, Such as... the Beast. Yeah. Oh, segue. Yeah. Getting good at these. <laughs> so... Let's talk about <laughs> the Beast. It's only been like 30 Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Episodes and, and no, we've learned how to segue. This is 26. Okay. I said like 30. I gave myself wiggle room. Yeah. No, I'm 26. I'm not like 30. <laughs> I would like a clear distinction between 26 and 30. Thank I'm 28. You. I'm practically dead. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's another story. Never mind. Anyway. anyway. So the Beast is complicated because his story is about growth and... Redemption. Redemption and, and forgiveness, really. Yeah. And what that means is you have to start off in a really toxic, uh, negative place for your character to grow. And a big difference that I find between the animated version and the live action version is that the animated version all the way through gives you those moments of internal conflict with the beast where he will lash out in anger for whatever reason and then almost immediately have that kind of oh my god I can't believe I did that Mm. I feel awful and that humanizes him and kind of leads leaves the door open for his redemption in a way that the live action one doesn't. Yeah, really. I I felt way less sympathetic towards him in the live action version, where to me he comes off as like a bit of an entitled dick, mm. which he is a bit in the original version, but less so. He's more childlike. He's to me it reads more of like I don't know how to interact with people. Plus. I've been a beast for most of my life and I've been isolated and the only people that I have to interact with are my servants who I care about and they care about me but I am always going to be their boss and they're never going to tell me no. Mm. Which is why when Belle comes in and is the first person to stand up to him really that he kind of realizes that his behaviors are not appropriate and as soon as he is confronted with the idea that his behaviors aren't appropriate he then begins to change and begins to grow. Mm. So something that bothered me watching the live action one is that even though the beast has this really lovely arc where granted he's like still a bit of a pompous dick, but um, he, you know, starts um, coming across with more softness and um, opening up a little bit and being a bit more vulnerable and the anger uh, spurts aren't quite as frequent. But something that really bothered me was the fact that he really lashes out at the start. He's really uh, quite abusive and um, puts a lot of yeah violence and, and anger towards Belle. And that that is then excused by a lot of the characters. Like Mrs. Potts says something to the effect of... Oh, hang on. No, I wrote it down so I can quote it directly. Um, she said, he's not as bad as he seems. Mm. And I'm like, I again, this is going to be the second time I say this this episode. I know that people are multifaceted. I know that people have um, lots of different aspects of their personalities and people aren't usually 100% good or 100% bad. We're all kind of shades of gray. But I don't think that you should downplay um, a violent, aggressive moment like that mm-hmm. by trying to be like, oh, but, oh, but he's... He, doesn't really mean it like it's all right yeah um call it what it is and then um make them apologize for it Mm -hmm. like i I don't like that he then like goes on and kind of softens and that their relationship 
blossoms, but there seems to be no mention of the fact that he was absolutely awful at the start. And I'm like, mm. yes, it's good to see like growth and it's good to see that you have uh, improved and that you're working on yourself, but can we have had a moment of redemption to be like, hey, I'm really sorry that I was violent towards you to begin with. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actively try and work on this and improve. And that is very different in the animated version because you have that scene where Belle is patching him up and she stands up to him Mm. and he kind of visibly goes oh I understand that I've done something wrong Mm -hmm. and then following that he's like I want to do something to show my to show that I'm sorry and to do something like she saved my life I want to give something back to her and that's when he presents her with the library and he's like this is yours so he he like learned something about her interests and made a, a grand gesture in in the way of like relevant to said interest relevant to the interest and and to to apologize and to try and make up for his mm. action and to demonstrate that he has changed in the life that he's, that or that he's, he's working to growing. changing yeah he, that he's capable of it. Mm. Whereas in the live action version, he the Beast is very standoffish and they have like a couple of quibbles where she's like, oh, I love Romeo and Juliet. And he's like, of course you would. Because the, the undertext being... Because you're a basic white bitch. You're a woman. And she's like, oh, so, you, so you've read a lot of books then. And he's like, yeah, a couple. And then he like brags... Showing the library is essentially him bragging about how many books he's read. And it's only once they're in there that it's kind of like a, oh, well, you know, maybe you can use the library whenever you want kind of thing. It's almost like an afterthought as opposed to him actively doing something that he knows that she would like. So I was watching with my friend Winita, who has a, a psychology degree. Who doesn't listen to the podcast. She doesn't listen to the podcast. But she insisted that we give her a shout-out. Interesting. Oh, the nerve. Uh, <laughs> the nerve of the non-listeners. But um, when she was watching The Beast, her immediate instinct was that this was his response to trauma. Mm. And that being isolated and being turned into a beast... Probably traumatic. Probably traumatic. Yeah. And that she recognised a lot of these... Uh, a lot of his actions as responses to trauma Mm. and while that doesn't justify being violent or aggressive or entitled or anything like that it it gives you an idea of where that came from it explains it it doesn't excuse it yes in the live action one i think there's also some mention of his father being abusive Mm. so that kind of again upholds the idea that you know his uh, aggressive reactions to stuff are a, a trauma response. But he's way more of a dick in the live-action one. Oh, way more of a dick in the live-action. Like Which makes you think that like he's just an aggressive dickhead. He's, yeah, he's, he's just a flaw. Like, just has a bad personality. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it harder for us to kind of believe that she would fall in love with him. Yeah. Whereas in the, in the original, I fell in love with him. Like, he's so adorable. Ellis falls in love with a male character, despite being a straight man. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But they're just, he's so lovable, look at his eyes! And the, oh. I'll talk about how great the animation is later. 
when we're not talking about the feminist merits <laughs> of this film, of which I think there are a lot. Me too. Um, another thing that Winnie brought up was the scene where they're eating soup. Mm. And... Again, this is very... It's a different scene in the, the live-action version. In the original version, the Beast is, like, slobbering in his soup because that's how we do it. And then he realizes, like, oh, no, wait. I have company. Mm. This isn't how you do it. And he attempts to use the, <laughs> the spoon and physically can't. And he's, like, unable to... But he's obviously trying. He's doing his best. He's doing his best. And that's when Belle comes up with the, the compromise of let's drink from the bowls. And Juanita pointed out that this was a really, really good um, technique about normalizing something so that, like, for example, the Beast wouldn't feel self-conscious about the way he was acting. It's normalized and accepted by the people around him. Mm. And then you can use that to kind of, as a stepping stone for his own growth to, to... not that you have to like necessarily fix the quirk, but if it's something that he would wants to get better at, this is a good way of of helping him overcome his insecurities towards that. Mm. And that isn't present in the in the, the live action. No, film. he just like gets some on his face, and like it's a it's a joke. It's a punchline. Yeah, he like, never tries to yeah to to fix it. The Beast has far more redeeming qualities in the animated version. Yeah, like, undoubtedly. Which is why, like, when Belle ultimately forgives him and falls in love with him, you understand how that journey has happened and Mm. why she's done that. And I don't think you really get that in the live-action version. Mm. It kind of happens because it's supposed to. Which I find really ironic, because in some ways the live-action film was made with an effort to make it, quote-unquote, more feminist. And, quote-unquote, more believable. Yeah. Because it's live. Because the things are actually there. But you end up with a beast who is a lot less redeemable, and therefore it's a lot less believable, and I think in some ways a lot less feminist of a romance Mm. because you haven't seen this, like, growth that you've seen in the animated version. Yeah. And you don't have that understanding of that's why they're yeah. together at all. I mean, like, feminists can still fall for dickheads. Hi, Mimsa, nice to meet you. Um, I was going to say, that's exclusively your time, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the fact that um, she almost, in the live action, because he's more of a dick, compromises a little bit more about how she's willing to be treated gives her storyline um i mean i don't think she's i think she's still a feminist role model Mm. but um that's maybe not quite as pertinent like that that might undermine it somewhat yeah should we unpin the big old pin that we've put in this discussion which is how much you hate the live action (laughs) again feminism ruins everything bingo ellis hates something and wants to rant about it like oh man like so i saw it in the cinemas when it came out with my family because again my whole family loves beauty and the beast and we're like let's all go and we'll watch it and i like watched it and as i was watching it i'm like this is fine it's all right it i you know there are some things that i'm like oh whatever but it was fine and then re-watching it 
it's not that I thought it was bad. I just thought it was so dull and tedious. And I'm just like... And also all of the changes that they made from the original. Not that I think it should have been like one for one exact yeah. remake. But I, I think the changes that they made were detrimental to the story. Sure, yeah. And it just made it a really slog of a viewing experience. I was like Snapchatting... <laughs> I have received a lot of sassy Snapchats. A <laughs> lot of sassy Snapchats going out. Uh, and they just added in a bunch of unnecessary stuff to pad it out. Like, the magical teleporty book. Like, yeah, that was a stretch. They, For those of you who haven't seen it, they added in... So the Beast is given the magical rose, which is like the countdown clock, the mirror that lets him see the outside world, and also... <laughs> a magical teleporty book that he's like, you can use this book to go anywhere at any time. Why? Mm. Could he not have gone back to the time before when he was a beast and said to his past self, hey, maybe don't be a dick to that old woman. She's going to turn you into a beast. Plot mm-hmm. hole, plot hole. But it also completely invalidates the mirror yeah, because when Belle is like, oh, I've seen my father, I need to go and save him. And Beast is like, well, you can leave the castle now. Why didn't he just go, oh, why don't we jump into the magical teleporty book, we'll go save your father, and be back before dinner's over. <laughs> it, like, it's so pointless. It, and it's, just, and it's, it's, to, it's to fuel or to, to round out this subplot about Belle not knowing why her mother died and her fa- and her father is like, oh, I, I can't tell you about your mother. Turns out she died in- from the plague. And I'm like, that's tragic and whatnot, but why wouldn't he just say that? Your mother died from the plague. And it sucks. Yeah. And we're heartbroken about it. Just it just seems like such an unnecessary, like, oh, how did her mother die? Like, do we need another layer of mystery? Yeah. It's, and, and, and why you- did it have to be a mystery? And then... Like- if they were like, <laughs> we want to know what happened to her mother, why could her father have not just told her? Yeah, like, why did he have to keep it such a secret for the sake of keeping a secret? Also, I did some Googling and my suspicions were confirmed that there's a, uh, an inconsistency with the eras because the plague where they used the beaky masks yeah. um, that they see in Paris um, was in the 17th century and... The Eiffel Tower wasn't built until the 19th century, and he like rocks up and he's like, "We're in Paris. Uh, should we go see the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe?" Oh no, is that too touristy? Which is a funny line. I'll admit that I laughed at that. <laughs> but this was only like maybe 20 years ago because it was Belle as a baby, so they're living in 18th century France. Eiffel Tower doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Hot take. It just adds so much unnecessary stuff to it. And also, the movie's like two and a half hours long or something. It's really, really long. And I was just sitting there feeling the pace being (laughs) slow. And this was really evident in a lot of the musical numbers where they would add in like extended gaps in the singing. Oh, yeah! Just for no reason. For no reason. And I'm sitting there and going like, this is so much longer than it needs to be, which is why it was so wonderfully refreshing to watch the, the animated version. And and it moved along so swiftly. Pace, pace, the pace, pacing pace. was great. I was never bored. And oh, just I didn't understand why it had to move so slowly. You're right. There are so I was sitting there going, why is there an extra bar here in this mm-hmm. music? 
like, be our guest, be our guest, put our service, do the Why? Completely unnecessary. And because those songs are so well known, it jars you. Yeah. Because you know what it's supposed to sound like. Speaking of how things are supposed to sound, how dare you, Tim Rice? I, it's probably not his call, but still, how dare you? <laughs> Howard Ashman is one of the greatest lyricists of all time, and nowhere is his work like exemplarized better than in Beauty and the Beast, specifically, specifically Gaston. Gaston. The lyrics in Gaston are perfect. They're perfect. How dare you change them for your shitty live-action remake? And not only that, they changed the mob song as well, which, again, is like a perfect encapsulation of that scene and what it's supposed to be. Mm. I did not need LeFou to tell me that maybe Gaston is the monster after all. We get that. Also, the song is perfect. But also, we do get that, but I do like that you see a little bit more of LeFou's character arc, that he becomes less and less, he gets less and less into what Gaston stands for. I I do appreciate it from that level. appreciate that they changed the song you'd ranted to me about that extra lyric and when it came up i was like oh no i get that i get why you did that i i was not as offended by that as i was very offended i am offended (laughs) i am offended by the inclusion of a few extra songs specifically evermore because 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 when they made Beauty and the Beast into a musical, they added, I think, three extra songs. Oh, they added a bunch. They added Home, they added A Change in Me, they added If I Can't Love Her. Those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. There are a few it's, other ones. Uh, me, Gaston gets another oh, song. Oh, Gaston gets another song. Uh, um, Human Again is added in, but that was like he, written for the original version mm, and then cut. But then added. Yeah. But they wrote... Some absolute bangers. Yeah. They wrote some not good ones. <laughs> a, a Change in Me is a snooze fest. It is the most boring song. But an abs... No, actually, they added two bops that I'm super into. One is called Home that Belle sings when she first arrives there. And it's about how she's like going to have to make peace with the fact that this is her new home. It's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. They play like instrumental in the live action. Yeah, they do. That has the the home melody and I was like, oh, is it going to be home? And then she doesn't sing. But also Emma Watson's not a singer, so maybe that was a good call, but it still like pulled my heartstrings a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but the Beast gets this absolutely sick song yeah. called If I Can't Love Her. It is a baritone dream. Oh, oh it's the most good. Like, has an incredible key change. Um, but, like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. It is the perfect song. I think it might even close Act 1 in it the does. musical. Um, like, it's, it's like that level of impactful that it's like, yes, and curtain. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my God, they have this perfect song. And then, what do they do for the live-action movie? They went, no, no, we're going to ignore that perfect song that we wrote for the musical, and instead, we're going to write a really crappy equivalent. <laughs> they wrote this song called Evermore, which, when I watched it, I was like, oh, they've written like a little, little bit of a, a prelude into If I Can't Love Her. I had the exact same thought. 
Like, it sounds so kind of nothing that you're like, oh, and this is going to, like, get into the main song now. Mm. Oh, and it never does. I didn't realise that it wasn't an intro for If I Can Love Her until about three minutes into the song. Mm. Like, not... Same! Like, the entire time, I'm just like, okay, at some point we're going to get to the good bit. Mm. And then the climax of the song hits. And I'm like, oh, that was it. And... They did the Josh Groban did did the version in <laughs> oh, the the end Josh credits, Groban. and the end credits are rolling, and I'm sitting there with my family, and that song starts playing, and I'm like, "Oh, this song sounds really familiar. Where do I know it from?" And Kyle's like, "It was in the movie." <laughs> That's how forgettable it was. Yeah, <laughs> but I am really mad at this trend of composers going, "All right, we're adapting this musical." Like, be it a, an animated musical or a stage musical, into a new work that is a mm-hmm. movie. Oh, but to be eligible for the Oscar for Best Original Song, we'll have to write a new song. And it's never good. What they come up with for that purpose is never good. The only ones that I can think of that were good were in Dreamgirls. Oh, yeah. Where, like, they added, like, three songs and all mm. of them were nominated for the Oscar because they were all great. Because when it's such, when it's such an afterthought, um, or when you already have an objectively better song yeah. that you could have put in, it feels like, and this is, my, this is my overriding hot take for the whole episode, it's almost as if, if you're writing... Purely with the accolades in mind. Like, if you're writing and you're like, ah, the f- Beauty and the Beast. In Academy is going to love this, aren't they? Then maybe you're not going to be creating your best work <laughs> if you yeah. just care about the Academy Award and not about whether it actually serves mm-hmm. the work. That's my hot take. Mic drop. Thank you. Don't get me started on Les Mis. That's a, when we have a Les Mis episode, which will absolutely be happening, you will hear this rant again, but threefold, because <laughs> it's the even worse. song in that is even worse. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk quickly about animation and design. I'm not an artistic person in that sense. Alice, you're very good at colouring. I, I am very good at colouring. I colour a lot while I edit these episodes. I have a bunch of colouring books, and they're quite good. I'm, I'm working through an Avengers one at the moment. It's really wholesome. It's very wholesome. If you um, want to get a good gift for Alice, get him a colouring book. <laughs> I have so many right now, and I'm way behind on all of them. It's so, he got a Mr. Men one, and he finished it, and the last page was, My name is X. I uh, Like, my age is... And he wrote, My name is Ellis. My age is... 28. <laughs> very sweet. It's very cute. Um, but I'm, I'm not a visual art person, but I really love animation. And one of the things that I love about the original version is that the, a lot of the character designs are very simple, but striking. Like, you can look at Cogsworth and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts, and you can see their designs, and they're very simple, but you know exactly who they are, mm. and they're memorable, and they stick in your head. One of my issues with the translation from animation to live action is that they go, oh, we have to make it realistic and, right. and you know, make it look like something that could really exist. And you end up with these really quite ornate and good-looking designs for Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts. Um, but 
because they're going for realism, you don't have the striking colors yeah. or the striking shapes. A lot of the a lot of the expressiveness of the characters' facials are lost as well. Mm-hmm. I think, particularly with the beast as well. Like yeah. the beast in the the animated version is so expressive, and you get a lot just from watching him think about things that you don't get when your actor is covered CGI'd. in dots and CGI'd yeah. and, and all of that. I think that happens in the in the stage musical as well. Like it's really I'd imagine it'd be really hard for actors portraying that character to emote. emote. But they Obviously. also they, they can still use their, their body language yeah. to be expressive and you can't really do that in film when you have a tight close up on your face. And when I look at all of the live action Disney stuff that kinda comes out and you see these like reimagined realistic designs they might look really intricate and somebody spent a lot of time on them but they aren't memorable and they're very oh. forgettable and they blend into each other when everything is the same kind of shade of goldy brown yeah then it's like well what's different like the sidetracking a bit the they released character posters for the lion king when they remade The Lion King with, with Donald Glover. <laughs> and you couldn't tell which was which? You couldn't tell them, because instead <laughs> they're of They're all having, lions! They're all lions! <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, cool, you've successfully created a picture of a lion. <laughs> but that's not a character. <laughs> and, oh, and also, I've realized one of the designs in the movie that really irks me is Mrs. Potts. Because it's like a teapot... And Emma Thompson's face is just <laughs> stuck on the side of it. And I didn't realize what made it so uncanny for me until I rewatched the animated version. And her nose and is the spout. Her nose yeah. is the spout. And it looks like a face. And you're like, oh, that is a person. That's not a person's face stuck, stuck on, on the on side t- of a pot, stretched out in a really weird way. And it's like, oh, it just really uncanny I shouldn't be listening to Emma Thompson sing Beauty and the Beast one of the most beautiful songs ever written going why am I uncomfortable <laughs> looking at her <sighs> animation's always better than live action I'll say it here I I mean I know that it's driven by capitalism but I really question the need to remake animated films as live action yeah I really do just putting it out there does Beauty and the Beast pass the Bechdel test? I think so. Do you count? <laughs> do you count uh, anthropomorphic inanimate objects? Well, they're not inanimate because they uh, magical. Miss, Mrs. Potts is a woman. The wardrobe, whatever her name may be, is a woman. Madame wardrobe. Yeah. Madame and de la Corbouche. When Belle arrives at the castle, they do have a couple of conversations about her being here and mm. what life is going to be like. Um, I think that passes the Bechdel test. Mm. Yeah. I think. But because a lot of Belle's time is spent with either Gaston or the Beast, yeah. a lot of her conversations are with them. On balance, there aren't a lot of female characters. No. There, there's Belle, there's Mrs. Potts. Um, I would argue they're the only two major characters yeah. there's the wardrobe as yeah. well but she is a bit player yeah we have but then you um, have like the beast gaston lumiere cogsworth lefou maurice maurice like a lot of men men everywhere <laughs> but it is you know a patriarchal society and mm-hmm. it 
it creates the patriarchal society to critique the patriarchal society. So having a lot of men present seems yes. like a utility to be able to do that. When 2017 Beauty and the Beast came out, Disney, or the publicists behind Disney, were like, guess what, everybody? We are going to have our first openly gay character in a Disney film. And people were like, what? That's a big deal. And then they were like, guess what? It's LeFou, the character whose name literally translates to... The Fool. And people were like, huh? And then the film came out, and there is literally three seconds of non-subtextual moments where it appears as if LeFou is queer. Mm. And it's a moment at the very end when he dances with another man and kind of looks at him. Uh And that's it. I don't know what makes me more mad. (laughs) The fact that, A, Disney thought that that counted as queer representation, or B, that people took offense to that. (laughs) Yeah, that was too much representation no, for no, some conservatives. Uh-huh. It's, it's... I find it frustrating when Disney are quite clearly trying to have their cake and eat it too. Mm. Where they're like, we're being progressive and inclusive, but only in a sense that we could easily edit it out for distribution in countries that don't allow this kind of thing. Yeah. And, we're, we're, look, uh, look, we're doing this, but at the same time, we're not ostracizing our conservative viewership because they funnel us a lot of money. Yeah. And it's just... Do better. Yeah, Quite frankly, do better. The other intersectional point to to bring up is that I feel like they made a a slight attempt at making the town more diverse in the the remake. Like, a lot of the, the people in the village are people of color. The reverend who sides with Belle at the beginning mm. is, is a person of colour. Uh, the wardrobe and the feather duster, yeah. I believe, are portrayed by women of colour in the in the household. But all the main players are white. Yeah. So it's kind of, again, it's like that kind of almost tokenistic yeah. thing of Disney going, look, we're being inclusive, yeah. but Belle, the Beast, Maurice... Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts, Gaston, LeFou—they're—they're they're, they're still white. Yeah. All the characters you remember. All the characters that actually have substance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have a lot of qualms about the remake, but Mim. Yes, Ellis. Do we rate or ruin Beauty and the Beast? I think, on balance, we rate it. Yeah. From a feminist perspective, Belle is a true feminist icon in the fact that mm-hmm. she's like, I'm not going to fulfill the role of a woman as my society dictates. I'm going to reject that. Uh, not afraid to stand up for herself. Uh, more interested in her intellect than her physical appearance. Like, mm-hmm. if you care about your physical appearance, freaking go for it. Um, but it doesn't define you. Yeah. And um, I think that Gaston being villainized by the by the piece itself um, for his toxic masculinity is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
while there might be some issues with the Beast portrayal, especially in the live action, I think the fact that it's a redemption story about how you can better express yourself and how yeah. you can move away from anger into being a more vulnerable, gentler, I would say person, but like he's a beast. Um, <laughs> and I, th- I think that's a that's a good message to take away. Yeah. It's a good arc. I, I would rate the animated version a lot higher mm. than the than the remake. I think the remake gets a lot of a bit muddled with these things and the some of the strengths of the original aren't there. Yeah. But I think on the whole the story yeah. it's it's a feminist story. Yeah. I do not rate the song evermore. <laughs> I'd like that on the record. Ellis Dolan. Mm-hmm. If our friends listening to Feminism Ruins Everything, want to get in touch to tell us what they thought of Beauty and the Beast, how can they do that? Well, they could open up their magical teleporty book and come tell us in person in my apartment. You were going to say that. Or they could check us out on Facebook, which is Feminism Ruins Everything dash It's It's a a Feminist feminist Podcast. podcast. Uh, And you can find details of our upcoming live shows on there. You could also find us on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod, and you can find details of our upcoming live shows there. <laughs> or you can check us out on Patreon if you like our content and you would like to support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash feminism ruins everything pod. Yeah. And there'll probably be details about our live shows there <laughs> as well. And also some outtakes from this episode. <laughs> you can hear us try to sing much things. Oh. Also, like, if you come to our live shows, we can't edit things out in real time. Like, Ellis and I hosted an event a couple of weeks ago, and we got up on stage and, like, muddled up a few things, and we were like, oh, this is live. We can't just be like, oh, I'm going to try that again. Future Ellis, can you cut that out, please? It's very wild. So, yeah, please come along to our live shows. We we really want... We're, we're trying to make it as engaging with the audience yeah. as possible. If we have you there, we want you to be there for a reason, yeah. not just to be entertained. Uh, we might be taking questions. We might be taking talking points yeah. from people who, who get their tickets in early. We'll have some games. We might sing a few songs. Hell yeah. Uh, it's going like, to be great. The audience gets to say, It's, it's a, a feminist, feminist podcast. podcast. At the start of the episode. So, like, come along just for that. It's going to be great. I love Beauty and the Beast. I really do. I love you. I love you. Aww. And we love you, listeners, listeners of the podcast. Except for you, Adrian. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.